What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guest this week is South Carolina-born producer, vocalist, and composer, Contour. We took a critical look at Black Panther Wakanda Forever and the MCU and spoke about The Brave Little Toaster, the 2001 Japanese film Pulse, the pros and cons of Letterboxd, the art of film scoring, combining sample-based beats and traditional instruments to find his sound, and the creative process behind his latest album, Onwards. Come fuck with it. What's cracking, everybody? Uh, welcome back. Real notes. Uh, I think this is episode. I don't. Why am I? Why am I thinking about numbering episodes again? It's been like fifty episodes since I've done this shit. I think this is eighty-one. Yeah, I think this is episode. Or, or no, no, eighty-two. It's eighty-two. It's eighty-two. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be bad at myself if I don't get it right. But um, Dylan Green, Cinema Sai, uh, got a lot of names. Do a lot of shit. Run around. Um, not for much longer, cause yeah. Um, we were just talking about it off off camera, but um, yeah, it's it's almost it's almost hibernation time after like two more maybe three more shows. I I I need I need to I need to get rest. But anyway, we're not here to talk about we're not here to talk about being tired. We're here to talk about wonderful music and movies with someone who's really really wonderful. Been killing shit for a few years. Um, th- um, his new album, their new album, onwards is out now and has been soundtracking my mornings for quite a bit um got a vocalist a producer composer arranger very 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 smart individual oh, beautiful <laughs> no nah, you're sweet. you're smart <laughs> we got contour we got contour kari in the in the in the in the building today thank you so much for real for being here like it means a lot yeah of course also his album was correct that was good just make um, it- yeah happy to be here yeah nah thank you thank you thank you for being here yeah nah it, it's yeah like i said before um onwards has been it's just like it's really been something that's kind of centered me over the course of the last uh what's it been like a month maybe two months almost month at this and a half, something like that month and a half yeah like it's it's just been very centering for me and you know i'm just like there's so there, there's so much to break down but um you know, first, you know, first and foremost, this is a this is a movie and music place. So I'm gonna ask you the uh, the first question I ask everybody who comes on here. What was the last movie or TV show you watched that you had a strong opinion about? Uh, there's not a worse time you could ask me this question. Um, the last movie that I saw was the new Black Panther movie. And how'd you like the new Black Panther movie? <laughs> um. As somebody who is critical of Hollywood and Marvel and the the Pentagon industrial cinema complex, I am not, I can't say I'm really a fan. Like, it was entertaining enough and there were good parts of the movie, but it's it's really just another propaganda film yeah and it's 
a lot of the stuff that they try to do to make it feel like it's doing something else is like kind of insulting when you really get into the subtext of a lot of what what is going on in the film um that's that's the short version of my opinion on it. was there uh was there one specific moment because i can think of a because like let me let me just say i liked it I'm a, I'm a I'm a Marvel person, but I'm also very critical of the uh, of the of the pro military propaganda and like the Pentagon. It, like, yeah, I'm I'm it, it's 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 difficult being a Marvel sometimes. But was there any one specific moment that really like hit you in that respect? It's really the central plot line. You you the exposition of the movie is this very like tongue in cheek like gotcha from uh angela bassett's character to the un that's supposed to be like colonialism aware neo-colonialism aware and then rather than anybody actually uh recognizing or, or responding to france or the u.s as colonial powers like they hint at we get to watch two groups of marginalized people kill each other for three hours, which is like, it's just like a big, like the whole exposition is just this big magic trick to make you think that there's like a, a self-awareness that there is actually truly not. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you know, like the whole, cause it's like, it's hard, like, it's hard for me to watch it's hard for me to watch everything going on between Wakanda and Talokan and just not think like, yeah, it's like, why are y'all fighting each other? Like, just like y'all could, y'all could both go after the U S right now. Like they spent the, they spent the last movie. Um, they spent the last movie talking so much about how, like, I mean, like Wakanda has vibranium. They could like, they could just rain down on everybody. And like, not even, not even, not even in the sense that, uh, not even in the sense that um uh Namor was talking about, but just like I don't know, man. It it it's just I'm with you. I'm with you is basically all I'm trying to say. And just like the movie to me was entertaining enough that it didn't bother me as much as it might have if the movie kind of sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but I get it. And like not only just that, but like sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in the whole T'Challa and Ramonda and Shuri story. And, but like Wakanda is still an Imperial power and like, it wouldn't like, like, no, it's not. How is Wakanda an Imperial power? What other nation or, or smaller nation have they based their, their wealth on globally? Never mind. I take that back. You're right. Forget I said anything. <laughs> Forget I said anything. I'm wrong. Um, nah, never mind. But um, I just, you're really making me think about this now. <laughs> I'm and glad I'm just- because I, I mean, like, I'm a big part of my relationship to film is like being very into like black film and like especially like u.s black film at least at this stage in my learning and like its relation to i guess our position 
historically and otherwise. And so this, and, and not even just Black film, but just like what film is used for, what media is used for, what it, what it's, role and purposes and and uh abilities are like in culture and 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 politically and marvel yeah i mean i'm not i'm really not going to get into a marvel rant but that's that foregrounding is like why i feel so strongly about it i feel you that's i mean i mean like that's perfectly valid you know like i um i really I really, I really, I really appreciate Ryan Coogler on just like a pure raw filmmaking level. And mm. um, I love, and, and you like, I love the fact that he like ascended so fast through the ranks. Cause like he made, he made Fruitvale Station, he made Creed, and then they put him in charge of Black Panther. And I think it's a, I think the stuff, I, I think the stuff that he's done on that level has been really wonderful. But you know, like once you get, once you get into once you get into the Disney Marvel shit, it's like hard to not, it's hard to not fall into those rhythms. Like you, you can only be so, you can only be so revolutionary in that sense, you know? I don't think you could be revolutionary at all in the Marvel Disney complex. Unless yeah. you literally found a way to make something that was the complete opposite of what they wanted and actually get it distributed, which you couldn't do. Yeah, so I stand on the first thing I said, which is that it's impossible. Right. Yeah. No. 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 I agree. I think, uh, you know, like this is Disney we're talking about. Like Disney, like I think about this all the time. But like they basically own that entire plot of Orlando that Disney World stands on. Like it's it, it's like it's like it's like a few sanctions away from being its own sovereign nation. You know, like they 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 do foul shit all over the place <laughs> so you know it's 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 like that's like once you're there it's 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 kind of it's kind of a wrap for anything that could really make a kind of like real difference in that sense and it's also like when i see a film like black panther or a franchise rather that's backed or produced by a monopolistic media conglomerate such as Marvel Disney my question is what is the story from a filmmaker that is not tied to the ideologies of this corporation that we're not getting like what is the actual story about a sovereign like speculative fictional black nation African nation that could actually have revolutionary potential that we're not going to see because those resources and that part of the market is being saturated by this film or is there even a part of the market for it, which there's clearly not because this is the film that we're getting that pretends to be in that part of the market right yeah it it, it can it can be it can be a lot <laughs> to just like because obviously black black panther and wakanda aren't the only two examples of um um even even just even just uh Afrofuturist cities in this sense but just like once again it's disney and they just own everything and they're just gonna bulldoze that's just that's just what they're here for um i thought it was entertaining but all of this is all of this is all of this is very valid and something that everyone should always think about um you know this shit is like packaged and sold like we just have to we just have to remember that these things are being packaged and sold to us sometimes and it can be very easy to forget that 
you know, like, especially with everything going on with Chad with Bozeman and obviously rest in peace. He was incredible. Um, rest in peace. And also, I think, I think that they really kind of used him as an emotional manipulator to get the audience to sympathize with the story that they were selling. Oh, sure. Like, absolutely. Like, obviously, on one half, it's like, great, they're taking a moment to pay tribute to this, to this actor who was a part of this franchise. But then at the other sense, it's like, oh, they're really kind of forcing an emotional response on the audience right now at the very beginning of this thing so that the audience is more emotionally open and vulnerable to whatever else is about to happen in the overall plot line. Yeah, you know, that, 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 that's like, I kind of expected that, honestly. Like, there's, there's really, like, especially considering how especially considering how even though he's not here anymore like pretty much every pretty much every little plot element of the movie either revolves around someone's remembrance of him or something that he did you know like it's like i don't want to i don't want to say that i mean like he's not like like you can't really say that he's like the main character at all because he's not really a character he's more being used as like a symbol but like he he's He's everyone's motivation still in one in one sense or another, which is interesting, um, especially considering that, like. I'm getting lost in my thoughts right now. <laughs> I'm like, really, really, okay, really. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a good thing. Um, I. Um, we don't we don't have to we don't have to dwell too much more on this but i did really one one thing about it that i did really appreciate even though even though as we as we already kind of established they're kind of playing in our faces i did like that uh i did like that one of the only i did like that one of the only white dudes in the whole movie kind of i can't really say he like defected from the u.s government but like everything that happened with ross just kind of like can't even really I'm mean, like I guess in a sense he kind of went off the grid but it was nice to see them at least like perform him being like you know what let me go help out Wakanda you know like just like because well, why mentioned- why so why do why do we why are we even in this position where this extremely powerful African country exists and because they're so allegiant to this bureaucratic diplomatic relationship with the imperial powers of the world that we have to be happy about this white savior-esque character being like, yeah, I'll, I'll help, I'll help these, these blacks out this time. And, and it's supposed to be, oh, so much sacrifice to help the blacks what a great character and i'm like first of all wouldn't no white person and no government ever even do that second of all which is why it's propaganda second of all the story really don't even need that shit like it it, the character exists as a part of the propaganda like that's the only reason that that plot line exists because otherwise there would be no good white person in the story which would not be acceptable yeah once again, you're right. And, you know, like all, you know, like all of that taken in, I, um, 
all of that taken in, I appreciated. I appre- I appreciated the fact that like you have Shuri, you have Ramonda, you have Okoye, and you have um oh, Denai Guerrero's character's name is escaping me right now. Okoye. There we go. Um hmm. just like, like having having you know, like having having um having the four of them, having the four of them be like out like outside of the fact that T'Challa's presence kind of looms over everything. I just love the fact that they decided to make Black Panther an ensemble piece that really attempts to focus around all the women in the story. Cause like it because it felt it felt uh I'm trying to choose my words very carefully here. Mm-hmm. It felt um it felt good. It felt good to see that considering that the franchise had already kind of set itself up to have the four of them step up in different ways, even if Chadwick hadn't passed away, you know, like it didn't, it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like, not that it would have either way, but um, it was, it just made me really happy to see them all do their thing. All Mm -hmm. four of them were great. And um, hearing Lupita Nyong'o speak French, and Creole was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always just, I really try and main, remain focused on like possibility. And yeah. so I'm like, really, it's important to me to not be happy with, not to not be happy with things in general, but like to not accept things and not ask the question of like, okay, but what could this have been? Like, all four of these actresses exist outside of this franchise. Mm-hmm. What could a movie incorporating all four of these very talented actresses operating as characters with a similar level of agency been that was not tied up in imperial propaganda, you know? Yeah. It's important for me to remember that that is a possible thing that also could have happened and that there's a reason that that's not what happened. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate you checking me on that because these are all really important things to um to consider, <laughs> you know. Like I try to I try to think about them as much as I can, but you know, especially as I get older, I realize that you know, like it's very very easy. It's very easy to get caught up in entertainment and it's also good and healthy to acknowledge things as entertainment because like we need to have fun mm-hmm. but at the same time like and i should to- say i'm also not like i'm not by any means of the opinion that we shouldn't consume media that's problematic like i think it's okay right. yeah that like is fine like and liking things is fine but yeah. i agree like it's important to, to to have the critical dialogue about what it is that we're liking and why we like it and how we can enjoy it and still stay grounded in understandings of what's possible. Right. Yeah. No, the nuance is important. And I just appreciate that. You know, it's, it's a, it can, it can be, it can be difficult to have those conversations with people because we tend to section things off into like, oh, this is the thing just to go to have fun. Like, oh, this is the thing just to, just to, just to break it down critically and intellectually, you know, like you can do both and that can be, and that can be great. 
mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> I, I, I just, um, I just appreciate that. You know, it's a, uh, I just appreciate that. And um, for you kind of running back to, you know, you already kind of, you already kind of mentioned your, um, um, your fascination with black film in particular. And, you know, like obviously our history is so rich there, but um, for you, when did, uh, what's the first movie experience you can remember having? Like it could be at the theater, it could be at your cousin house, wherever, like. Damn, that's hard. Um, the first movie experience I remember having is not in the theater. I think it would have been watching one of the Brave Little Toaster movies in my <laughs> living room at like age six. Oh man. Something like that. Oh man. Do you remember uh, do you remember which one? Because I think there's, there's there's two of them, right? I think it's Goes to Mars because it's the one. It's the one where that air conditioner dies in the first 15 minutes of the movie and it's traumatizing. Mm. Such, such a dark scene to, yeah. to be so early in a in a kid's movie. Like Yeah, nah. The whole Yeah, no, nah, I remember he looked so sad too. Like he like short circuited and just like mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> oh no, my brain. Um because like between Cause like between that and um, I forget which movie I forget which Brave Little Toaster movie it was in, but there's a there's one of them where like the toaster has a dream about like a fireman clown, and like the clown like smiles at him, and shit, <laughs> and just like tells him to run like like that and that and the air conditioner dying are like <laughs> the two things I remember about the Brave Little Toaster. I haven't seen either movie in like at least fifteen years. But like, yeah, there's just something about those. There's something about that moment specifically, the one that you just mentioned. That's just like, 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 like hearing you say that just made my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy. But I loved I loved those movies. Those were like some of my first favorites. Yeah, yeah, no, just like the whole, just like the whole idea of like. The whole idea of like household appliances coming to life, just like a toaster and a, and just like I think about it now. Like it took me. Did you did you recognize that the electric blanket was supposed to be an electric blanket the whole time? Because I didn't know what the fuck that no, was. I don't know what I thought that nigga was. I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he was like a lamp or so. I don't know what I thought he was. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just like because like because like I saw. Because like I didn't have an electric blanket, so I didn't know what that was, and it kind of felt a little like I, I don't know. But like I looked it up years later, and I just thought to myself like, what was that supposed to be? And it was like an electric blanket, and I was like, oh okay, like I'd never seen that before. So they had just run out of ideas for appliances. They were like, we need a fourth character, and they were like, um, uh, an electric blanket, and they were like, sure yeah no because you couldn't have done like yeah you know you can't really do a blender because like well i mean like the vacuum also the vacuum moved around and the vacuum wasn't plugged in right they could have they, they could have done a blender they could have done they wanted to get bold, they, was plugged in. they were all unplugged just running around right yeah right yeah right the toaster the toaster was unplugged too they could have they could have gotten real bold and got like a fridge like 
I, I like I always wonder why they didn't get the fridge involved. Like that would have I don't know. I feel like I feel like having somebody big around would have made things kind of e- maybe not easier because they were going on like adventures and shit. I don't know. But like it would have been that cool. That fridge would have got left behind somewhere. <laughs> you know, just like it would have been traumatic moment number two. <laughs> it's like free to the fridge. I have no idea. Did they all have names? Or were they just like toaster, blanket? I don't remember if they had names. Wait, maybe they didn't have names. I don't know. We talking we talking earliest movie memories, so right. <laughs> Shit. No, that's fair. Um so as you so as you uh so as you get older and you start to, you know, like watch more things and, and like experience more life, um, was there a was there a movie that kind of made you was there a movie that you kind of stopped and saw and helped you appreciate like the art of movie or, or, or not, not even so much the art of movie making, but just like just something that really made you like stop and be like, wow, like this is something that I'm like appreciating as something that's more than just entertainment, like something that really touched you on any level, really. It, it, it could be artistic. It could be just like, oh, I really felt that shit like. I feel like there's, I feel like there are a lot of movies that this is true for that I've encountered at like different stages, like that have allowed me to appreciate a different aspect of film that I hadn't been able to appreciate like beforehand. Like, I think maybe the first one for film, like overall, might have been something really simple, like Conception or something when I was like 14. And just mm-hmm. being like, oh, you know. I didn't know this level of complexity of story could exist in the thing, which obviously like if I watched Inception today, I would be like, all right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like stuff like that or like, you know, discovering like something like Daughters of the Dust and like thinking about like, oh, like slow cinema, like slow cinema, like that is concerned primarily with documentation of like a, a cultural history, like, this is like a real thing. Like this is an application of cinema beyond entertainment or like, mm-hmm. you know, I've had that with so many things. Like I've had that or even like most recently, you know, for a long time I haven't, I was not really a horror fan. I wouldn't really say I'm a horror fan now, but I recently um, was, I collaborated with a filmmaker who was working on a short horror film. And so I was scoring, so I was like, okay, well, I need to do research, so I need to watch some horror and figure out, like, what a, what I like in a horror score and what I can, you know, draw from to write the score. And I ended up watching this 2009 Japanese horror film called Pulse, which was about, it's about, like, this town and people keep being discovered, like, having committed suicide like in their apartments or like in in various places i've seen this okay (laughs) so so there's this like website that they keep going to and so the main character like there's like a double plot line which like one follows somebody investigating this website and then it's like another pair of girls or like a girl who's like basically just seeing like kind of in the center of a string of these suicides that are like following her kind of but the movie, it's not like jump scary. And it's not like what I I learned that I don't what I don't like about horror is like the manufactured. And really I learned that this is something I don't like 
in film at all, which is like something I touched on when we were talking about Black Panther. I like don't like manufactured emotions in film. Obviously, because films are things that are made, any emotion in a film you could technically say is manufactured, but I don't like things that are very like heavy handedly, like manipulatively trying to force a specific reaction on you in a specific moment, which is exactly what jump scares do. And it's why I don't like jump scares. And I don't like that so much of like modern US horror is centered around the jump scare because it's really just this like, you know, it's this manipulative, like forced reaction that, I, that I'm not into. And so what I really liked about Pulse is that it's really like, there's like not any of that. And I also, it's really not even a, like centered. The plot is not actually about the suicides. Like it's not a, oh, race to the to the clock. Like they got to figure out what's going on. Like it's actually like a really, really profound exploration and meditation on grief and loneliness mm-hmm. and how like people, anybody can all of a sudden be surrounded by this feeling of grief or loneliness and that you can't really control like there's not control over over who that happens to or like how or even whether they can actually survive it or be supported through it by the people around them and I just thought it was so poetic like the way that the film explored those themes and so that long-windedly is like was uh, my most recent like oh horror can really be this this much deeper thing that's not actually about like the the scare or the horrifying concept yeah I um I'm trying to remember when I first saw Pulse I think I might have seen it I think I might have seen it when it first came out Mm -hmm. because because the because because there's two things I remember about it a was that um, it was uh, people people were, if I remember correctly, people were committing suicide because of things they were seeing on like computer screens and stuff like that, right? Yep. And like, and, and like there were like spirits or like entities coming out of them like on like, on, um, um, on, like, the, on like some ring shit. And mm-hmm. then like the end, I, I remember the end of the movie they figure out that like they just need to like abandon their technology and one of them just goes and like fucks off to like just um like a cabin somewhere and like i think it might have been ireland i think somebody mentioned like we're going to ireland or something the last 20 minutes of that film kind of really go off the rails (laughs) (laughs) i remember being like what is going like i remember like 80% 80% of the movie, I'm just, like, following, like, wow, this is really, really, like, profound, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the last 15 minutes, I just remember being, like, what is going on? But, yeah, it's something like that. that yeah, and then, like, yeah, because, like, I think whoever it was had been out there for a minute, and then somebody comes to visit them, and they're, like, oh, take a look at my new phone. And then it's just, like, no, no, put the phone away. And then, and then, and then that was it. I've been meaning to rewatch it since then, but, like, Wait, that might be a different pulse. Oh, mm. damn. Shit. What year? What year did you say that the one you were talking it's about either came out? 09 or 07. You know what? Let me go ahead and just pull Letterboxd out and, and be 100% sure. Uh, 2001. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a completely different pulse. My fault. It's also a horror movie that came out in 06. That was, yeah, it's, it's completely different. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know which one you mean. I haven't seen that one. I liked it, but yeah, it was yeah. This probably based on the same. It was probably based on the first movie or the source material for the 
for the first movie. No, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it says it right here. It's a re- yeah, yeah. See, it's a J-horror remake. Damn, I got got. That's crazy. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> hit the OG. You gotta hit the, the original. See, that's crazy because I'm you because um I love I love I love um I love all horror, but um Japanese horror was something that I was really into kind of um you know you know like around the time that like um around the time that the remake of the ring and the remake of the grudge came out like you go out and see ringu and you go out and um or 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 at least i went out and tried to find as many of the originals as i could my favorite was um i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to get too far away from your point but um my favorite was the eye the original version of the eye is really incredible if you haven't seen it um it's it's uh Long story, long story short, it's about um, it's about a woman who's uh, it's about a blind woman who uh, gets new eyes and she can see, but she can also see ghosts like that's just that's just the drawback is that she starts seeing she starts seeing ghosts all over the place. And it's also it's also an interesting and really creepy meditation on uh, grief, probably in a different way than Pulse. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think. uh but being you know, like to your original point about about um about horror be about about horror kind of having those uh have having that aspect to it um that's that's something that uh that's something that I've kind of come to appreciate a lot more as I've gotten older because like I'm a because because like I'm a splatterfest person I just saw I just saw that Terrifier two movie that just came out like over Halloween. Mm-hmm. all it's it's literally about nothing but gore somebody gets mashed potatoes shoved into a in, in, into their fa- it's 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 really fucked up but like i um i'm sorry but i uh <laughs> but i like but the last time but oh oh wait no what, what am i talking about i just saw bones and all you heard about bones and all that just I've came out it. it's it's a I didn't. I had no idea. I had no idea what it was going to be about outside of the fact that it's just like cannibal teenagers on on the run, and that's basically what it is. And um, that's that's pro- that's probably that's probably the last uh, that's probably the last horror film that I saw that really touched me. And like like and it's like and it's mostly because. And it's mostly because it's like a mix of like, it's like a horror film, but also like a romantic drama. And they did a really, they did a really interesting job of mixing the two genres together. Like it's like, I've been thinking about it so much since I saw it. And like, I really enjoyed what I saw, but I'm still trying to figure out like why I enjoyed it. And I don't, and and like, I'm not a hundred percent there yet outside of the fact that like, the two characters dynamic is really, 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 really well done. And um, there's gore effects, but it's not, it's not like crazy overdone in like a Splatterfest Terrifier 2 kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's really just like these two kids are, these two kids are cannibals for whatever reason. They find each other. They no longer feel alone. And they have to deal with the fact that they're not the only person like that in the world no more. And uh, it, to me, to me, it felt like a really, to me, it really, to me, it felt like a really um, thoughtful and even soulful take on 
that particular kind of horror movie that I haven't seen in a while, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it really, it stuck with me. It's, it's been, um, I think I saw it maybe like a week and a half ago and I, mm-hmm. and I, I've, I've been thinking about it damn near every day. So that's, I we'll have to, we'll have to watch it. Mm. Also, I also I have I, I I like don't get Timothy Chalamet. I don't see why people like him so much. But I don't know that I've ever seen a film that he's in. Um, I'm trying to think no. of some stuff he's done. Um, I I have a I have a tendency of avoiding. I have a bit of a contrarian streak, so sometimes I avoid. Not on some like I don't want to consume mainstream media, but sometimes I it's really the like. I really want to consume things without having any opinions like already put in my brain about them. So I just will wait a really long time before I watch things that people are talking about. So I can like really form my own opinion, just like have a blank slate. But then I end up forgetting to ever come back to stuff. I respect that. Like he, uh, I think like, I like, I think I saw call me by your name and I was like, he's good in this. But then everything else I've seen, like I'm like, okay, it's like, it's, it's just it's just like okay, like not even that it was a fluke, but I'm just like, eh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you know, he's 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 a white dude. They come a dime a dozen. Like it's 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 not it's not the end of the world if I'm not fucking with Timothy Chalamet. But um, like, but like watching him in Bones and all, I was like, oh, I get it. Like I see why people like him so much. Like okay, mm-hmm. cool, it it cool, it works. And um, um, Taylor Russell, who's um. Like she's 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 basically the protagonist of the whole movie. Like she 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 runs off with the whole thing. Like she's been in other movies before, but like this is the one where it's like people are gonna see this and they're gonna be throwing bigger roles at her. So like it was uh they did a great job. You know, like um they just did a great job at the casting and it just felt it just felt really uh I just real I just I just uh, I just really appreciated how deep they took it, you know without without it getting like too 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 deep mm-hmm. because there was like 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 you know like we were talking earlier about like thinking about what could have been i was thinking about how that could have been like way worse than it actually was so it was cool to it's all it's all it's always cool to kind of be on the other side of that and be like this could have been so much worse <laughs> you know yeah. but um but anyway um i really want to see the original pulse it sounds great i just uh I thought I thought I'd seen the original one this whole time and I didn't. It's a gorgeous movie. Um, and you said it was from 01, right? Yeah, 01. Yeah. And you meant and you mentioned you mentioned Letterboxd earlier, which is something that I don't think I've ever brought up on this podcast, but I use it, I use it pretty obsessively. I log every movie I watch. Um when did you when did you start using Letterboxd and what is it about Letterboxd that you really what is it about Letterboxd that you like? Because I feel like it's a very specific, you, you got to be a very specific kind of moviegoer to like really fuck with Letterboxd like that, you know? It's really just, it's really just helped because I started using it in 2020 when I started watching a lot more films specifically for the purpose of like research and like like development of my my musical projects or other projects. So it's primarily just really useful as like a research, like organizational tool and like film discovery tool. Um, I know some people get like, make it their whole personalities with like reviewing and stuff. I like, I review stuff from time to time, 
but it's all, like I think it's just personally helpful to catalog my watching like f- make connections between the things I'm watching and like discover things and like also have like a journal of like what my attitudes about things are over time because I can revisit something I watched in 2020 and look at a review of it and be like why did I think that but I, then I know like this is where my head was at at this specific period of time like generally right which is also helpful have there uh two questions first one has there been a movie that you watched since you started logging in 2020 that you've gone back and thought, why did I feel that? Like, what was the last time? Or has that happened to you? I'm sure it has. I don't know specifically, but I bet if we if we keep talking and I go through and I just look at some of my reviews, I'll definitely be able to find one where I'm like, Because, mm. <laughs> um, what's it called? For me, I... um. Or even just like ratings, sometimes I'll like go back and be like, you gave that movie a what? And I'll be like, no, <laughs> you were it. <laughs> oh yeah, nah, I, yeah, nah, I've definitely gone back and like fixed a couple ratings. Like I turned, I turned, I've turned a couple three and a halves to, to twos and there's, um, I've, um, I've turned some two and a halves to some threes, you know, it's like rate rating 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 systems are rating systems are interesting to me because i just like you know just like as a writer i just i've just always been of the mind to just like put it all in the review and let that speak for itself you know like that's just kind of how i've always been but you know like rate but you know like ratings 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 of course have their place and all that i just like it's just like never the first thing that comes to mind for me like when i'm watching something i'm just thinking like how does this make me feel how do i think this shot was composed how do i feel like this what do i feel like this actor brought to this scene like you know like does you know, you know like does everything work together as a whole and then i just kind of take all those thoughts and like the last thing i think about is a rating you know like it's never it's never like at the forefront of my mind type shit a lot you know? of times i won't even rate stuff right away or i'll forget to like usually I put all of my watches in a list at the end of the year of like everything I've watched and a lot of times I'll have to like retroactively rate for the sake of like that list having some kind of sense to it because a lot of times like I agree like I'll finish watching something and be like I don't have an opinion on a rating for this like I was just watching it so yeah it's 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 tough because I said all of that but at the same time I feel like obligated to do it. <laughs> it's 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 so weird. So like I like there are sometimes where I'll force myself to put a rating on it, which is why I tend to go back and think like, eh, that three and a half is more like a two and a half. You know, like that's like the rating is always the part where I second guess myself. Like the actual like opinion and like me kind of sifting through how I felt about just everything on like a technical level and even just like on an emotional or you know depending on the circumstance manipulation level like mm-hmm. if it's you could yeah 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 because like if the you know like if the movie cause like to me like if a movie does a good job of make if, if the movie does a good job of making me feel a certain way that movie did its job you know like more 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 often than not unless it's like really bad or like the writer or the director or the actors or the dp or whoever just didn't have a grasp on what they were doing. Like more often than not, that more often than not, like you were saying before, all of that's really intentional. And if those feelings, if those feelings hit me and make me forget about shit I didn't like, it's like, oh, 
okay, then it, it did its job, you know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's weird. Like the whole, yeah, I, I, I could, I could, I could, I could talk about that for hours, but it's just, uh, I'm always really interested to see how other people kind of go about like rating and writing about movies, especially since I've really been diving into Letterboxd over the course of the past. I think I also started using it in 2020, like around maybe around COVID time is when I first heard about it because everybody was just at home and just logging movies. So, you know, like the utility of that wasn't lost on me, you know. Um, So what's it called? Just lost my train of thought but um but yeah so like that's so that's you so, so that's that's a bit of you with movies so like let's jump over to music real quick like when did uh i mean like i can i mean like i can imagine that music's been a part of your life for a grip but like when did when did music really when did music like really become more than just like a thing that was just when did it become more than just a thing you listen to and a thing that you like really started to live in and experience when i was a teenager probably um i was a very depressed teenager and was not particularly adept at relating to the people around me so i spent a lot of like my adolescence being just very immersed in whatever music i was listening to as a means of like relating to my own emotion especially before I had like language to understand my emotions in the way that I can understand them now. Right. So that's probably one. What were you, what were you listening to at that time? What was the stuff that was really, you were really gravitating towards? Um, a lot of rap and a lot of indie rock mainly. This was like the height of like the blog era. So mm-hmm. you can probably imagine <laughs> <laughs> you were charles hamilton person or not not quite not quite not charles <laughs> yeah. more like more like joey badass and danny brown yeah and mf doom of course yeah sounds about right yeah <laughs> and kanye, when, and kanye in, the, in the aughts yeah <laughs> gotta be specific now yeah kanye in the aughts definitely <laughs> um yeah nah like that uh like that era that blog era was just so special between yeah like between joey and danny and you know like and you're like and just like early freddie gibbs early nipsey hustle um blue of course you know below the heavens and i mean mean, below below the heavens was like oh seven so that was like early early blog era but like you know like just like all just like that whole the blog era just it's it's a whole like it's so crazy to be talking about the blog era in the past tense, you know, like you never think you're going to get there, but like, it's what, like we're there now. And just like to think about how many different kinds of kinds of rappers were like around in the blog era, like between Joey and Danny and um, all the other people I just mentioned, but like, I'm, I'm like Rocky and Charles Hamilton and big crit and just like, just all like all those people are so different, you know, like, and 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 it's it's just crazy to think that all of that came from one specific time period you know and just like really reflect on it um but um um what about the indie rock shit i'm 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 really curious about that um i was really big on like grizzly bear unknown mortal orchestra 
Tame Impala. Some of that, I mean, I still listen to Grizzly Bear and Unimmortal Orchestra a lot. I don't listen to Tame Impala as much because Kevin Parker's trajectory has lost my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, lots of stuff, lots of stuff like that. Um, I'd have to go back and find a playlist to really name everything. Oh, the Beach House. Shout out to Beach House, yeah. I was a huge Beach House fan. Fanagram. Yeah, I could go on and on. <laughs> did you, just because I'm curious, because you mentioned Fanagram, did you ever listen to their project they made with Big Boy, that Big Grams EP? No, they, I'd, I'd, I'd fallen off by then. I uh I um I checked it out on a whim when it came out and I I I I I liked a bit of it. It it it's it's not amazing. Like they're not they're not like a natural pair, but it or, or but it was like I was like this is cool. There's like two songs on there that I was like this is this is really really cool. Like if they could have taken the two they could have taken the energy from those two songs that made that the holy p it would have been crazy. But um but yeah that they I but can yeah, respect was, people's time don't actually make the most sense in reality i think art is taking risks and experimenting is is cool yeah me too nah definitely you know like that's and it's funny you mentioned that because the first time i ever heard grizzly bear was on um nope let me take it back i was about to i was i was about to fuck up again i was thinking of panda bear panda bear is completely different panda bear is also really cool but yeah um um but yeah i do but but yeah um i do fuck with grizzly bear but i was gonna say um i first heard panda bear on that da- on, on um the last daft punk album um, oh the random access memories yeah i i i i i i love that album from the first time i heard it i know a lot of people i know a lot of people weren't jacking it when it first came out but i love random access memories it's just such There's a noise on there yeah man like just there's a uh, yeah Mo- yeah i think uh i think motherboard the song with giorgio Moroder, and i forget there, there's there's like i just love that album i'm 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 a big daft punk fan but um um but panda bear i found panda bear because of daft punk and mm-hmm. then i found grizzly bear shortly after mm-hmm. because i was because i was looking for bear and i found grizzly bear and i was like oh it was grizzly bear so this would have been what like 2014 2014 13 because i was because yeah. i was still in college yeah 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 because yeah because random access memories came out right before i graduated from college so uh yeah definitely um and yeah you know like for you you know so like you have so you know like you have this uh you have this background of music you have this background with film and of course like you know you start getting older and just start moving through life uh, you had already mentioned it with um, like you'd already mentioned an example of this specifically with um, you talking about composing and film scoring. But I feel like that's a little. Let me just ask the question: Was there ever a period of time? Was there ever a period of time when you kind of saw music and film as two things that complement one another? Like before you started composing and film scoring? I think so. Maybe like not quite as not as intentionally but i definitely like one of the things that was a part of whether i would like a film or not would be like if the soundtrack was good or if like and obviously like the big thing that's probably changed is what i consider to be a good soundtrack or a good score now 
But like, for example, when I was like a teenager and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World came out, like I was like, oh, this movie is crazy. The music there in this movie. <laughs> oh, man. I spent so much time with that Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. I still love the movie, even though it's it's got problems. But I, um, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's got a lot of problems. But I love that movie and I love that soundtrack. Um, those Sex Bob-omb songs and the, um, the one that uh, Brie Larson, uh, um, the Clash of Demon Head, that Clash of Demon Head song that, that year, I don't know why, that shit goes crazy to this day. But, um, but what was, uh, you know, like what, so like what would, so like what would you consider to be a great soundtrack now? Like, you, you know, you know, like Scott Pilgrim was, was then, what would be the one thing you would really be on now? I think Nicholas Bertel's scores are really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think soundtracking, I guess, okay, are we talking scoring or are we talking soundtracking? Um, Good question. We could um we could do we could do both if you want because it's because I mean like you mentioned you you mentioned like the soundtrack specifically with Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. but um but but we could talk about both because both are great. You know like there's like a difference between there's a difference between like the Scott Pilgrim versus the World soundtrack and then the score that Daft Punk did for um the Tron movie. You know or like I a, never saw that. The movie itself is fine, but the score is amazing. Mm-hmm. They 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 put their ankle in that shit. But anyway, um, like like what would you, what would you say is your favorite film score? Because there very much is a difference between a soundtrack and a score. I really hate that this is my answer, because I'll explain why I hate that is my answer. There's a neo noir film called Chinatown. I know Chinatown. <laughs> That has my favorite score. I hate that it's my answer because that film is directed by Roman Polanski, who I do not endorse in any way. Right. Yeah, me either. I really adore the score of that film. It's so good. Another film whose score I love. There are a few. Okay. That, I love the Daughters of the Dust score. Um, Reading about how the composer was intentionally interpreting interpreting like certain like astrological themes and like aspects of the plot line and characters to create the score. Um, so interesting. Um, I also love the Paris, Texas score a lot. See, I haven't seen Paris, Texas. I know about it, but it's just one that I never got the chance to like really, really, uh, really get to. What um. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know do you know who composed the score? Who 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 composed the score? I can't remember the dude's name. It's he's like a really prolific composer. I'm just gonna keep looking these things up. He's like he the reason I can't remember he scored so much stuff and a lot of it doesn't sound like a lot of it sounds like way different. Or you know, like some people have like careers where they do just lots of industry, like you know, very traditional scoring stuff that's like not so much creative as it is just like industry standard um but what is this dude's name i'm gonna figure this out look up something else while i'm here rye cooter that's his name Mm. okay i don't know i don't know who that is off the top of my head but um but I do, um, 
I do I do really want to see Paris, Texas. It's actually been on my list for a while. I just never I just never got around to it. But if like, you like long, moody, slow stuff, then you'll like it. Which is like one of my big my big bags of watching. So Yeah. I love I love I love long, moody, slow shit. I've been watching shit with my partner and my partner hates long moody slow shit. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sneak in. I gotta, I gotta sneak in that. I, I gotta sneak that shit in on my own. You know, it's a, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very particular kind of like experience watching something like that. But mm. um, the first, like the, um, the first, the first uh, film composer who comes to my mind is a guy named uh, Michael Giacchino. He's done, he's also somebody who's done like 80,000 different scores and like different kinds of shit. But um, he, um, he worked on, he worked on, uh, the first time I ever recognized him was when I saw Star Trek Into Darkness, funny enough, in 2013, which isn't a good movie, but the score is amazing. Like, he's just, he's like, I don't know what it is, but it's just like really, it really just got under my skin. And like, he's, he's scored for, uh, he scored for like Mission Impossible movies and like Jurassic World and like Medal mm-hmm. of Honor. I think he might have even done a Marvel movie or two. But he's also let me let me let me let me see what else he's done. He's done he's done a lot. But there's just something so like dynamic about the way that he arranges music and just like it all sounds familiar. But there's but like it just he re- he really he, he really oh, gets at what makes he, he's done a lot of Disney stuff. I think he also just did Werewolf by Night um on on a um the marvel show that i haven't watched yet but like he but like he's someone whose work is like he really gets what makes an epic moment epic and what makes an intimate moment intimate and that kind of goes to the whole like how film and music really complement each other because like i feel like it's kind of obvious but it's always worth saying that like music affects the way that music affects the way we take and stuff we watch you know like there's you know, like there's like a difference between watching a film like Star Trek Into Darkness that's got like a score and like you're supposed to be excited, you're supposed to be sad. And then you watch a movie like No Country for Old Men that has no score. And it's just like the experience of watching a movie with no music is so different, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. because there's no there's no telegraphing of like how you're supposed to feel. And it's like a it, it, it really makes you lock in in a different way you Mm -hmm. know like like just because he popped into my head just like the way that the way that um the way that like the score in like a spike lee movie like do the right thing or mo better blues you know like like especially mo better blues what so that's a really good score yeah like like I just love like I just love the fact that I just love the fact that Spike really locked in with the Marsalis with the Marsalises and just like had them come and like do the music you know like just like the 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 title song in Mo Better Blues is one of my favorite songs I've ever heard in a movie it's 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 just like it's just like it's so short but it's just got such a nice little just little it's just I don't know it just it just hits it just it just hits for me but like but like I always imagine what a movie like Mo Better Blues, what Malcolm X or Do the Right Thing would be like without music. You know, like what would Do the Right Thing be without Fight the Power in it? Or like what would it be like without the other uh, little refrain that plays throughout the whole 
Cause like, there's like a little, there's like one, there's like two specific refrains that play throughout all of do the right thing. Like what would the movie be like without those, you know, like, um, I don't know, but either, but, but either way I'm, I'm kind of rambling, sorry. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just really appreciate, I appreciate a good score. I appreciate how music can amplify or even sometimes detract from what a movie can do. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, and for you, um, when did music become something more than just a hobby? Like, when was it like, oh, like I'm making this now? I don't know if there's like a clear moment. Um, I feel like even when it was a hobby, I was obsessed with it in a similar way that I am now. Like, I feel like I was very immersed in the making of it from like the moment that I started doing it. So I guess the only thing that like changes it is like, you know, having people book you to do things or like, I guess the thing that makes the difference is like people caring about what you're doing. But in my, how I've engaged with it, there hasn't really been a moment that was a big a pivot or like a big 180 to like oh I take it seriously now gotcha well um there was <laughs> I saw you tweeting about this it might have been a day it was like a day or two ago but uh-huh. I saw you tweet sometimes I'll be playing piano and think yeah you were running those kingdom hearts games up huh and oh. like <laughs> yo that's that's such a <laughs> I love that that made me laugh when I saw it and like Talk to me about that moment and talk to me about the score for the Kingdom Hearts games, because like, what is it about those games and that music that just, it's just like, everybody loves, like, I don't know, like, I love them too, but just like, what is it, what was it about you playing the piano at that moment that made you think of Kingdom Hearts? I'm so curious. Yeah, I was just like, I was in the studio and I was just like sitting and like playing around the piano. And I was, it was some specific like melody that I did that was very like dearly beloved-esque. And I was like, oh, all right, all right. I was like, here you go. (laughs) And then, and that's what I thought about it. Cause there's just this very like deeply emotional, like wistful quality to like specifically the, the piano, the piano writing through a lot of the Kingdom Hearts stuff yeah and just like the the way that the melodies and chords interact with each other it's like sound like even like in the energetic moments there's like kind of like a melancholy aspect to it it's like very very dramatic and right. i was like all right you're being dramatic as hell right now on this piano <laughs> yeah that's no, valid because like if there's anything if there's any one way to describe those games like those games are those games are melodramatic as shit like and like it's cut you know like it's half the reason i like it it's ba- it's based it's basically just like a soap opera with disney characters and keyblades like it's mm-hmm. i i and like i you can say that about a lot of jrpgs but like kingdom hearts specifically you know like that's yeah, a soap opera with those elements and nothing anybody says makes sense at any point <laughs> yeah 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 no like, try to tell me what a nobody is like right now like, <laughs> like there's not a single sensible piece of dialogue in the entire kingdom hearts saga like it's all just like poetic nonsense 
out of everybody's mouths for hours and hours. And we love it, you know? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we fucking love it. Um, but, you know, now I guess I should ask, when did you, when, when did you really start making music? Like, yeah, because, you know, like, you, yeah, yeah. When I was around 18, yeah, it would have been when I was around 18, and I started, like, really trying to teach myself how to produce, which I think was pretty much all I was doing for a few years. And then eventually I picked songwriting back up once I felt like I was in a decent place with production and it kind of just went from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause from what I understand, you kind of started out, um, you kind of started out making beats and I, uh, I was going back and listening to some of your earliest stuff, at least the stuff I was able to find on, at least the stuff I was able to find on Spotify. And I just loved, um, I could, you know, like I could just tell that you, I could just tell that you had an ear that went beyond just like making a beat, you know, like there was mm-hmm. definitely, there was definitely more to it than just that. Like it, it, it felt, it felt, they all feel like all that early stuff feels so intricate, you know, and that's good because I probably wouldn't say that if I listened back. So it's nice to hear it from somebody else. Yeah, nah. <laughs> I, I get it. We never, we never, we never think that about our early work. You know, like there's like there's so few people that I've met who are also creative in some way who would who would who would give themselves that type of credit working so young, you know. But like but you know, just like what so you say, like you mentioned you, you know, you said that you you said that you kind of um you said that you taught yourself production, like how long did that take you and 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 like yeah like how long did that take you and when what like when you started collaborating with other people was there ever a point where you felt like ready to do that or did it just happen like i've never felt ready to do anything that i've ever done ever that's a good um, answer <laughs> that's a good answer i also don't think I know how to answer like how long it took me to learn to produce because I'm still very much learning to produce. Um, How long did it take before I felt like I made anything good? Maybe a year or so. But the stuff that I thought was good when I was making it after that year, I definitely don't think it was good now, which brings me back to just that I feel like I'm still learning right which is you know also a great answer because we're all always still learning you know like there's never there's never a period or at least there at least there shouldn't be a period of time where it's like yeah I got nothing else to know about this I know everything you know um and um was before like were you were you playing instruments at this time or were you just like solely taking okay it was mostly samples um I also was doing like some amount of like writing chord progressions with synths and stuff. Uh, But it took me getting back into piano lessons um, either in 2019 or 2020 to really like start playing piano closer to like how I play it today. Um, I picked up bass in 2017. Piano is technically first, but that's like the first instrument that I feel like I really incorporated into my production and like compositional practice mm-hmm. in a real way. And I like was playing it live because I was playing with a band at the time. 
Right. Um, so it's kind of just been like curiosity leads me to pick up a certain thing, which leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. But yeah, it's been like mostly self-taught with like stretches of lessons here and there. Right. And when did you and when and when would you say you first started incorporating instruments into what you do? That would have been, yeah, that would have been around 2017 when I picked up bass. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you look at, so, you know, you look at, you look at earlier projects, like uh, the stuff you were doing with uh, Illidel and Garrett Odom, like, was that all, was that all sample based or was there actual instruments in there too? That's all sample based. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And like, it's crazy because I was, because I was listening to both those projects earlier today and really thinking to myself like like I couldn't I like 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 the best like the best stuff of that variety makes it really hard for me to tell sometimes like whether it's all sample based or if it's like samples and instruments or if it's all instruments you know like obviously there's great music made through all three methods but like but like I always but but like the stuff that really lingers in my brain is always like is this all samples like is this all it, like it's like it's the same way I felt about um uh Red Veil's project uh Learn to Swim cuz like that's all that's that's mm-hmm. like about half and half cuz he plays a lot of piano on it but like I, I like I always get caught up in just like just like I like lis- like listening to something listening to something like your, like all of your work but like those early projects specifically Mm-hmm. I always get caught up in like picking them apart piece by piece and trying to like deconstruct it and then put it back together like a puzzle, you know, like I, uh, that's just kind of the way my brain works and that's just how I process music. But um, yeah, I just think there's really something to it that it sounds that like it's all sample based, but like, but like I said, like you had that ear already to like, mm. it just feels very intricate to me listening to it. You know, I don't I know. That. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I I I I like it. <laughs> I'm having I I I I uh, I feel like I'm having a hard time really communicating myself. No, right no, no, no. The way you're communicating is great. I totally get what you're saying. Oh, I appreciate that. But like, you know, like, but 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 you know, but then you go from those earlier projects over to uh, you go over to like Love Suite, you know, which um, mm-hmm. which I was also running through today earlier, and just like, I guess uh you know like for you like going you know like going from making stuff that was purely sample based to incorporating live instruments to or yeah just to like incorporating live instruments and um using them in all these various ways like have you like as you as you started incorporating different stuff into your production process have you noticed any similarities and differences between or really really just similarities between like sampling to make beats versus using instruments to create what are the similarities between those two things i don't know why i'm so tongue-tied right now but like has there yeah for me similarities are primarily like i found i realized the things that i liked in samples are the same things that i look for when i'm composing which is like a certain like emotional quality of 
like progression of music or like I really like when like drums and bass interact in a certain way or I really like when chord progressions have like a certain kind of tension or like a certain kind of relationship to the melody. So like there's a through line between the stuff I write and the stuff that I was probably choosing to sample in that in that sense. Right. And I think uh, I'm really glad you said that because I think there's like there's two songs in particular that I think really hit that middle ground for me. One of them is Love Suite number one from Love Suite. And the other one is Freedom Facade from Onwards. Like those two songs to me really hit, those two songs to me really like hit that sweet spot between something that's purely sampled and something that's made with all live or not live production, but just like instruments, you know, like, or, or, or like traditional. Cause I mean, like obviously like a sampler is an instrument in and of itself, but like, um, there's just something about that middle ground of like, this sounds like it was made from one thing versus it sounds like it was made from another, like listening to like the way that you looped freedom facade into itself. Like, mm -hmm. I like, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's just like, it's, 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 it's just like, like as rap fans, really as music fans, but as rap fans specifically, you know, like just like that, the idea of the loop, I feel like has broken all of our brains, you know, like it's like, it's just about finding that really good part of a song and just playing it over and over and over again. Like that's like, that's like a foundational, that's like a foundational aspect for so many of us. And mm -hmm. to hear you communicate that through the piano and what I think sounds like a hi-hat, like the way that you did it on that song really speaks to me. And funny I is, think- uh, is completely a sample. Stop. <laughs> I'm mad. That's funny. Yeah, um, it's, it's just a sample chop. Um, and I like sequenced it in a way where I was kind of focusing on it's it is that like hi-hat pulse where it falls in the same beat every in every place where I've chopped the sample that makes it feel really fluid um so it's cool that it's not obvious that it's a sample because of that but I was trying to like capture what like a very natural flow of it so it felt like something being played right. um but yeah that's very much a sample yeah wow yeah now you fooled me that's crazy because um i uh um i grew up playing piano and like i could kind of you, you know you mentioned the natural flow like i feel that in the keys like especially near the end like at the breakdown but like you really fooled me because like it, it was like the whole time because like the whole time i thought it was i thought it was all um i thought it all wasn't samples and just like that's what I mean, you know, like, this, just like that's one of those songs that really digs into my head and makes me and really makes me think about, like, not just whether or not this is sampled, but like, why does it sound like it's sampled? Like, what does it mean for something to sound like it's sampled? You know, like, just like really, um, it just really, really makes me think on top of just enjoying it. And just kind of, like I said before, just like being centered by it. You know, like it's, 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 that's, that's a really cozy song, you know, like that really, that really does sound like you're curled up by the fire with like a warm drink and some headphones 
and like for me i'm gonna have a switch on me i'm gonna have my i'm gonna have my nintendo switch on me and just like that's like that's that kind of comfort song for me you know mm-hmm. even though it's, it's it's called freedom facade and it makes me feel comfortable so the irony is kind of crazy but you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah um so talk to me about onwards and like where did this start and it really because like this project to me really does feel like a culmination of everything you've been working towards in like the this feels like hey I mean like you've been here for a while but this is like the oh I can do this too like where did where did uh where did this start where did the idea come from and what does onwards mean to you um it started as well there's like two parts of the story the record was originally going to be two separate EPs which would have been the real like one of which would have been just like the heavily sampled stuff or I shouldn't say EPs but like projects one of these projects started with me getting a 404 in 2020 and I was like just listening to tons of stuff and just like recording loops of anything that I found that I really liked um and I had this idea early on into like the Bandcamp Friday cycle that I was going to take one weekend and just lock myself in the studio and like grab, like spend one day just filling my SP up with stuff and like loops and stuff. And then spend the next day just like writing and recording to those things and just like release a mixtape of like what came out of that for a Bandcamp Friday. That did not end up happening because I am not a fast writer. I don't know who I was fooling thinking I was going to do that, but I did compile a lot of the stuff that ended up being on the album in that weekend. And it just took me a long time to write to it. And then the other thing would have been like the stuff that I was working on with Raj, which is like all of the stuff that he co-produced, like that's more instrumental based, like more instrumentation composition or whatever. Um, Alex and Arrow who run Touching Bass, um, asked me to send them what I had been working on because um, we had just been keeping in touch for a while. Like we hadn't decided to work on a project just yet. But so I sent them like both folders of things that were like the songs that I'd started writing from like those like sample ideas and then the songs that I had been working on with Raj. And they came back and were like, this is all really good. And then when I told them that I'd actually been thinking of it as separate things, they're like, oh, we had listened to everything as one thing. And like, have you considered like presenting it that like presenting it as one cohesive thing? And I was like, no. And then I went and I listened to all of it together myself. And I was like, oh, like actually like this makes total sense. Um, so from that point, I kind of started thinking about like what the through lines were and what, you know, what I was writing about and what I could continue to write about. And it went from there. Um, the project overall is really just about, you know, having a relationship to the past really kind of like flattening the concepts of like past present and future into like in reality these things all are deeply related to each other and not like disparate elements and like you know the art and writing of the past being continually relevant and offering like continue continuing insight towards the future and like embracing all of that and like using it as like a framework for navigating life the world ideas etc 
Yeah. Yeah. Because as I've been listening to this project, the one thing I keep on coming back to is time as a flat circle, you know? And like, and, and, and like, I feel like that's a phrase that's been, it's become more prevalent, you know, like post COVID, just like trying to, just trying to like process everything we've been through. But like, it really makes you think like, what does it mean that time is a flat circle? And I think everything that you just said is like the actual definition of what time as a flat circle means is that, you know, like the past, the present and the future are all in conversation with each other. And we move regardless, we have to move, you know, like we're here. So we have to, we have to, whatever movement means, you know, like it can mean, yeah, it, 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 it can mean a dozen different things. It can mean, it, it can mean moving forward. It can mean moving to the side for a little bit. It could just, mm-hmm. you know, just like, just like however, because like we move regardless of whether we think we do or not, whether in the physical or metaphysical or literary sense, like we, we all just move. And I think like onwards is just like, you know, just point A to point B, time is a flat circle. I don't mean to, I don't mean to like flatten out everything you just said, because no, no, <laughs> I loved, I loved that description, but um, yeah, it's just like, you know, just like the way I also, I also, I also thought it was really interesting that the only I um I um I really um I really appreciated how much this project, like all your others, focuses on your voice and your perspective. But I thought it was really cool that the one person you brought in, um, as like a as like a feature was Samira, Samira True. Shout out to Samira. Um, the greatest. Been, yeah, the the greatest alum of the show had had them on earlier this season. Um, so what was it? What what was it about Samira that made them? the one person whose voice was going to be right next to yours? Um, I think Samira is one of the most interesting, profound, talented writers that is currently making music. Um, I think that their writing really encapsulates a kind of like deep self-understanding and curiosity and like a deep like appreciation for poetics and like relationship to language that that I really that I really admire and that I aspire towards um like if anything I look up to them as a writer in many ways so it was kind of like I was just listening through things and there was one song the song Repossess was actually a song that I really struggled to write. Um, there are lots of songs that I struggled to write, most of which didn't get written and didn't make it to the project. But this is, Repossess was one of those songs and I was listening through all of these ideas and being like, okay, like what's gonna get finished? Like, what can I actually like lean back into and like see the fruition? And I heard that song and I had had the hook written at the time and I was like, maybe I can send, like, I was like, I feel like Samira might sound really good on this. I'll send it to them just in its current form. And they send it back with the verse that is the final verse, just already like totally incredible. With, and that like kind of re-inspired me and like re-centered me like in the ideas and concepts of the song to be able to write what ended up being like the final verse, like to finish the song. 
Yeah, it's it's like I'm happy. I'm happy you use the word recenter because like that because like that that's that's that that's the second to last song on the project. But it very much feels like a it very much feels like a back to earth type of song mm -hmm. to me. If that makes sense, just just ju just in terms of it being like a it's almost like maybe reassuring, you know like Samira Samira's verse is very reassuring to me and so is yours you know like that like yeah fuck it it's a reassuring song <laughs> to me at least mm -hmm. um just like at least uh, um um at least within the context of the album itself mm -hmm. um it's just like it's really interesting to me it's always interesting to hear which songs take the longest to write because those are usually the ones that wind up feeling the most natural. And that feels like a very natural song, you know, like, you know, like, especially the way your voice is moving across the hook, like it very much feels like, a, oh, I thought of this in two seconds type of thing, you know, like <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> I like, clearly it wasn't, but like, it's, it's. No, like, it was, it was it came... the part that I had written that I, like, oh, that was the first thing that <laughs> and was like okay this is good and I think that was the challenge is sometimes you write a part of the song and it fits perfectly like you're like this is exactly what needs to be here and then you have to keep writing and so I would I wrote like three something verses before I got to the last one none of the verses I had written before the last one were, were like they're like no this doesn't really fit like this doesn't feel natural the way this other part of the thing does mm. man yeah, it's it's like it's like people, you know, like people don't realize it sometimes, but like especially but you know, like especially when it comes to stuff that's especially when it comes to stuff that's sample based and kind of incorporating like five or six different elements, like you know, like arranging music is like putting a puzzle together. Arranging and and, and then you throw in writing on top of that, it's just like how does this all fit together? you know just like you know yeah you know like the production you, you know like production software looks like a grid for a reason you know like <laughs> and that's uh that's that's the thing that's really interesting to me about onwards especially now that i'm learning just how much of it how much of it is samples and how much of it is instruments or yeah just how much of it like just how many different elements went into making onwards and it's just uh it's really enriching you know like i just it makes it, like it makes me think about um there was one time uh my dad um um uh, my father I love you dad he's 77 he uh he um he was in um he sang doo-wop growing up like he was like music has been a part of my life forever and um there was like he was about 40 years old when rap music first started right like he like he thought people were having seizures when they were break dancing on cardboard. Like that's that's the story he always tells me. But like I play him stuff and he loves a lot of the new things he hears. But like I'll play him some things and he'll like react and be like, yeah, it's cool. But then like I'll play him. I'm trying to remember who I I think I played him. I played him an Odyssey song. Okay. And he was and like I love Odyssey. And he was like, and he was like, this is more. And he and he and he was like, this is more like sophisticated than the stuff you play me sometimes. And I'm like, what? I, I like I really had to be like, no, that's, that's not how this works. You know, like this is like like 
making you know like making music like making rap music period is already inherently sophisticated you know like you know like even you know like even if you're just talking about it and it's like raw pure whatever the fuck all those words mean form like it's all about taking old it's all about taking different parts and turning it into something new that's sophisticated that's hard that's not easy to do you know and it's like hearing hearing onwards and experiencing it and seeing and, and and like having a better understanding of how all the different parts come together like because like obviously this isn't like a rap album you know like but there's elements of rap in it in the way that you made it and even and you're like even in the way that you're vocalizing it but it's just like it sits in its own it sits in its own area that takes from a whole bunch of different things and that's and that's rap as shit you know, like that, in, that that idea in and of itself is rap, but it's obviously more than that. You know, like it's rap, it's soul, it's R&B, it's jazz. It's, I, I, I'm i not going to list all the genres, but like it's, there's so much in there. And I think about the history of all of this and it's like, how is that not sophistication? You know, like that's. Yeah. You know that, you know the respectability we have in the elders and the chokeholds, so. Yeah. <laughs> but we know. Yeah, bro. It's just like, yeah, this album made me think about that. This album made me think about that specific conversation that I had. And, you know, just in the sense that like, all of this stuff is in conversation, you know, like every, you know, like, you know, like all the music that we love and consume is like in conversation with each other. And that's what makes it all so special to me anyway, you know, um, and I also, you know, um, you mentioned this way earlier, but I really did want to talk about um, some of the scoring work you've done mm-hmm. because um, I've only had a handful of people on here who've actually done film film scoring. So, like, talk to me about what led you to that decision and what um, what about that process has been um, just like what that process has been like for you, kind of moving from kind of moving from what you started with to film scoring which is not this I'm, I'm like not like so foreign but like there's you know like there's definitely differences you know um I feel like two things one of which was just I was really into the idea of seeing the things that I made paired with like visual something and not in the sense of like making a music video, but things that kind of had their own narrative when I, but like their own narrative that I was complimenting. I think the very first thing I ever was interested in is I really wanted to score a skate film, which is something that I still want to do, but I have a really very specific conceptualization of what it would be and who's, who knows if it'll ever. Anyway, um, so I kind of just, it kind of just ended up naturally falling into place. I did like a performance on Instagram live sometime in 2020 or maybe even early last year. And no, it would have been in 2020 and had a director reach out and was, that was just like, Hey, I like was randomly in the audience of this performance. And I feel like, you know, your music is very cinematic or like at least what you played was and would be interested in collaborating or like, have you ever been interested in like scoring? Um, and so it kind of just went like that. And I did a couple of, between then and this year, scored a couple of short films, which have both been like 
you know, on the festival circuit this year. Um, and I've just finished my third, which I actually got to see um, screened just last weekend on Sunday as a part of like a film festival that was happening in New York, which was a really cool moment. Um, was, was that your, was that your first time seeing a film you'd scored for like in that? Wow. How, yeah. T- t- tell me about that. Like what, what, what was it like seeing that? Cause that's, that's so special. It was really wild. Like it was very surreal. Like, yeah, it just really made the thing feel real. Like, I mean, obviously when you've scored a couple of things and they get accepted to some festivals and stuff, that feels very real also. Like, that's like, okay, like there's, these things are being recognized, but like seeing it is definitely something else. Yeah, I can, I I, I can, I can only imagine. Like, that's just, uh, you know, like, you know, like, especially for it to be your, especially for it to be your third, you know, and just like, you've really, this is, yeah. Like that's just a really that's just a really special moment. Like just just like like just to hear about that. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's just like I'm just like happy that you got to experience that in person because you know, like it's just like it's just nice to have uh it's just nice to have that physical moment mm-hmm. of like, damn, like I'm in this place to watch a thing with other people that I contributed to in some way. You know, like it's it's uh like that's the like the creative the creative process you know like that's that's a big part of the reason why a lot of us do this is to kind of i'm well i mean like it's, it's not the it's not the biggest part but you know like it's it's people we we all we all uh we love that we love that moment like that's a special moment just to be like this is out in the world and it's a thing i did and i can see it happen and like see it kind of peel and uh just expose the layers in, in real time it's 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 good shit i'm happy i'm happy you got that i'm happy you got that yeah now i'm like now i'm like i've had a taste of it i gotta i gotta get it again hey man you already know where can where can where can people find those uh where can people find the three the three uh the three films you scored i mean i'm sure the third one's making the rounds right now but... there i can give the names of all of them cool the way film distribution works is really tricky. We could actually have a whole nother very long conversation about that. Yeah. But basically, I don't think that any of them are like streaming or like available for watching online as of yet. But they're called Half Day, which is directed by Morgan Matthews, who is currently based in Atlanta. Um, One Magenta Afternoon, which is directed by Vernon Jordan, who is from Philly, and Deprivation which was directed by Katie Arthur, who is in Brooklyn. Beautiful. That's, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen any of them. Uh, not yet anyway, but I really want to. And, you know, like when I was doing my research, I saw that you had, I saw that you had composed and I was just like, wow, like it's cause you know, like the whole, the whole like cinematic thing, it's something that I try not to, I try not to tell people that their music sounds cinematic because it's just like, what does that mean? You know, like, that's, be like, what does that mean? So I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, but like, but like, you know, like it's like a, it's like a crutch that I find myself falling on sometimes, just mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's just, it's so easy to say that because, like, you see, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, like identifiers and all that shit is just really, really weird. You know, like I was, I was having another conversation with um, 
um, I have, I had um, Fly Anakin, shout out to Frank uh, last week. And we were talking about just like what, like you could like, like he and I had kind of had slightly different feelings on like the whole like underground independent, like, you know, like, I hate to bring this, I hate to bring this up, but like lo-fi, you know, like it, that's once again, that's a whole other conversation that I've had plenty of times, but like, it's, you know, like just identifiers for shit are, uh, no one's like, I, I, like, 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 like not everyone is ever going to come to like a 100% like this is what this is, but it's just interesting to see what people like and what people don't. And how that kind of how, how that kind of helps or causes the stuff to mutate, you know. I'm 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 always fascinated by that. I think for me as an artist who's really interested in making expansive work, all like who's make interested in making bodies of work that are expansive, but also interested in being expansive as an artist and not really limiting myself to areas of work or disciplines or genres or any you know stuff everybody says. It has had to. I've had to intentionally be like, it's really not my business, whether people like or dislike things or how people signify or identify them. Um, Like it's because you can really get lost. Like something I think about a lot is how Toni Morrison said that like the function of racism is distraction and like you use all your energy trying to like define yourself against this thing. I feel like, and maybe, I don't know, this might be controversial, but I feel like it's identification and like contextualization as artists is similar in that I think two things are true. I think that there are tangible material consequences to the way that artists are miscategorized and miscontextualized that affect our careers. And I think that's worth caring about. At the same time, I think it's dangerous to get too invested in being understood or properly contextualized as an artist because you will spend all of your energy correcting people instead of making your work. Um, so, yeah, you know, it 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 just kind of comes back to the idea of like you put your art out, and then it's the world's art as much as it is yours. You know, like people's interpretations are gonna help push that as much as whatever you say about it will right you know? and, and 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 that's yeah that yeah that's something that I definitely grapple with you know like as a, as as a writer I definitely grapple with that too but it's um you know it's it's like it's just it, it's 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 always about finding that middle ground of just like you know like you want to you know like you want to make sure that you that you're as understood as you possibly can be but you don't want to get pigeonholed. You don't want to get misunderstood, you know, because like there's a difference between somebody hearing like onwards and being like, oh, this might not be my thing versus, you know, like somebody like inferring something that like you're like not saying at all that could be like damaging in some right. way, like to, just to like go to extremes real quick. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's all complicated and difficult, but, um, but yeah. I, I, and yeah, I also love that. I also love that Toni Morrison quote. I think about that quote all the time because the shit really is a distraction. You know, like you, you know, you, you know, like we have to fight it and it's stuff that like we, you know, you can't ignore it. Like anybody who tells you that you can ignore it is just like, that's just not reality, but it's not something that you can let completely 
imprison you either. It's 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 so much, you know. That's just the that's just our that's our inheritance, I guess. <laughs> you know, like yes, one of many inheritances. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of good, you know. Like we're you know like we're out here, we're thriving, we're beautiful, we're talented, we're all this other shit. But you know, it's it's um it's just. <laughs> That's as, as just what we are, but um, this has been so great. But my last question for you to wrap this all up, um, Antor Kari, if um, if your life was a movie, what would it be about? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one of my flipping answers, which is that it would be about being a real nigga. Let's go, son. Beginning end. Real niggas do real things, bro. Slick. <laughs> yo thank you thank you so much like having you, you, yeah you know, like having you here has really been um i mean like every guest i bring on here is every guest i bring on here is a good talker and a good conversationalist but like you you, you know like you like this is really you really made me think you know like it's 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 oh, you it's, thinking about stop watching the marvel movies yeah it's gonna it's it's gonna it's gonna happen at some point i'm a creature i have it but 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 not like either way just like i appreciate i appreciate you i i appreciate your conversation and i appreciate the way that you look at things and this is the reason you're here you know like i and, and, and on top of the fact that i really love your music and i love onwards and um i'm just happy that I'm happy as get I'm 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 just happy as getting the looks that it deserves, just from not even just from, from publications, but mm-hmm. just from people. You know, like you know, like your work deserves to be consumed by people, or maybe consumed is the wrong word, but like I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, enjoyed and um, enjoyed and just like thought about by people, and you know, it's been great to see that. So thank you for being here, and thank you for, thank you for taking, uh, the, the almost hour and 45 minutes out of your day to talk to me (laughs) yeah thank you no absolutely thanks for listening shout out to y'all for making it this far and shout out to all the black people listening too because y'all really impeccable don't forget to like subscribe and tell a friend to come through next time one